Good afternoon, Facebook fam. Uh, here we are for episode number one of uh, the Word Encounter, and we're going to start in Genesis. But before before I get started, I just wanted to mention that because um, <clears throat> a lot of people aren't familiar with the Bible. So obviously we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the difference between the two is the New Testament chronicles things uh, after Jesus is born and, and post his birth. Whereas the Old Testament um, talks about things prior to Jesus and goes back thousands of years and puts the New Testament into context. And so, in my opinion, it's kind of hard to understand all that the New Testament is getting across without having some understanding of what's in the Old Testament. And so uh, I, I have always been kind of attracted to the Old Testament because there's a lot of wisdom and whatnot coming out of the Old Testament, but also uh, because it just context and contextualizes what takes place in the time of Jesus. And Jesus makes a lot of references to things uh, that the prophets said and whatnot from the Old Testament. And so there has to be some kind of understanding of what's in the Old Testament or and, and part of what would be called the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And so, um, and the Old Testament is twice as long as the New Testament. And so <clears throat> I think it's important uh, to have some degree of understanding uh, from a contextualized standpoint of what's going on in the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament is, isn't, I mean, it, it isn't chronological. It is, but it isn't. I mean, a lot of it is chronological, but some things jumping around, particularly when you get into the minor prophets and whatnot later on in the Old Testament. Um, to, to put it into chronology, you would have to move them uh, closer to the beginning of the Old Testament and whatnot. I'll try to point those things out as we go along with regard to what takes place when. And so you can kind of have some kind of... Um, sense of chronology of what's going on because everything isn't in chronological order. And so, but we won't have to worry about that for a bit uh, because early on in the new, in the Old Testament, things are chronological. <clears throat> and so without further ado, let's just get into Genesis and let's, and let's see what the word says. And so um, in Genesis uh, chapter one, verse one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop. All right, <laughs> we could be here forever with th just that scripture alone. And so my background is in mechanical engineering and the sciences and whatnot. And scientific people, um, they discount, or a lot of scientific people, not all, tend to want to discount things uh, of God in the Bible because they say it can't be proven uh, and this, that, and the other. But when we talk about uh, the origins of life, <clears throat> You have two ways to think about it, right? And so we can go with uh, uh, the creation uh, um, theory, if you will, as far as God created the heavens and the earth, which is what uh, uh, chapter one, verse one says here in Genesis. Or we can go with the evolution theory, which it says that there was some big bang at some point in time and something happened and earth started, the earth was created and, and life started and, and that sort of thing. What scientific people don't tend to acknowledge is that it takes faith, regardless of which way you lean with regard to the origins of things. It takes faith to believe that there was some kind of big bang that caused the beginning of life that formed the earth, formed the planets, formed the universe, and all of this stuff came from some sort of big bang thing. 
And it takes faith to believe that there was an entity called God who created everything. And so it takes faith regardless of which way you're going to swing. And so when, when, when uh, scientists kind of poo-poo people of faith, they do so without recognizing that they, in fact, are people of faith. And so because they have to believe something. Because if you believe in a Big Bang Theory, well, what initiated the bang? What started the bang? How did the bang come about? You know, something had to initiate it. You know, this all of this stuff that we call life and earth and what it had to come from somewhere. It had to initiate somehow. So how did that happen? You know, if it's a bang, then how did the bang happen? Now they could conversely say, well, God, who created God? I don't know. I have no clue. I have no idea. Okay. All I know is that when I'm going through my mental processes of the meaning of life and all that sort of thing, the only thing that makes sense to me is what's in this word, what's in this Bible. That's the only thing that makes sense to me with regard to where life came from, why we're here, and what our purpose is. Nothing else explains that. And so that combined with my experiences through life tell me that there is a God. And so, and the Bible explains him, explains the purpose, and explains everything to my satisfaction. Not that he had to please me, but to my satisfaction, to my degree of comprehension, it makes absolute sense. And this is coming from somebody who is a scientist, if you will, by degree. So, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We drop down to verse 24. <clears throat> the word says, Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, like I said, I'm reading the Tony Evans Commentary Bible, and this is his commentary on that. The threefold taxonomy, the threefold taxonomy of animals reflects the Jewish way of categorizing creatures that crawl, or the tiny ins or the tiny things we would call insects, rodents, and lizards, livestock, be it uh, domesticated animals like cows, sheep, and goats, and the rest are wildlife of the earth. This would include the dinosaurs. And so the reason I highlighted this is because one of the things that people <clears throat> uh, talk about when they talk about creation, they wonder, well, what about the dinosaurs? And so the word does not preclude the existence of dinosaurs. It doesn't call them out specifically in our language, but it doesn't preclude the existence of dinosaurs. And so <clears throat> it says a wildlife of the earth. You know, everything else falls into that category. And so that's where I would put dinosaurs. And so... Um, yeah, so that addresses that issue to my satisfaction anyway. <laughs> and then in verse 27, it says, uh, chapter 127. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them male and female. There are no other human descriptors of sex. There's male and there's female. There's nothing else. You know, people can try to make up different categories to satisfy themselves or anything like that. But they're only two. They're male and female, and that's it. And so, and that, and I believe that if people are speaking their true mind and not worried about being politically correct, instead worry about being accurate, they would admit there's male and female. And that's pretty much it. So as we move on, um, let's see. Ah, yes. So in chapter two, we go on and it says, 
in verse 19, the Lord God formed out of the ground every kind of animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And so the point here to me is that man was given the power to grant names. And whenever you name something, that is significant. Your name is significant. Whatever you call people, that is significant. That has an impact on them, be it positive or negative. When you call your wife dear or honey or whatever, it communicates something to them. It makes them feel a certain kind of way. When you call them negative names, it makes them feel a certain kind of way. And so what you call something is critical. What you name something, what you label something is important. And so that's why in these times of political division and whatnot, uh, cer certain people want to label other people. Because if you can label them, that in effect nullifies anything that they have to say, any point they want to make, any um, anything of importance that may come out of their mouth. If you can label them and name them something uh, antagonistic or something nasty, then you can in fact nullify any legitimate points that they may have. And so, so you 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 have you know groups of people. Uh, labeling other groups of people, and therefore they can just disregard and discard anything that they have to say about a certain issue or various issues. And so I'll give you a case in point. So today we like to use the label hater. So anytime somebody says something that you happen to not, dis, uh, not agree with, all you have to do is label them a hater. If you label them a hater, then you can nullify anything that they say, even if it's legitimate. It doesn't matter because it's coming out of a, quote, hater's mouth, unquote. And so so naming things and labeling people has very significant impact. And we see here in the word that God gave Adam um, the ability to, to name the animals. Okay. And so that is very important. So we move on. Let's see. Chapter three, it says here, temptation in the fall. Uh, yeah, I think this is the last thing we're going to hit uh, in this segment. And so God had commanded Adam, do not eat of the tree. And so he, God had also created Eve. And so um, Adam's job, if you will, was to inform Eve on what the rules were, what they could and could not do. <clears throat> and so the serpent comes along and starts talking to Eve, not Adam. The serpent comes along and starts talking to Eve. And so through this whole process, I'll get to it later. I'm thinking the ser serpent and Eve are just talking on their own. And so the, the serpent says, don't worry about what Adam says. Don't worry about what God says. The, the, what God told Adam, no, you can eat of this tree. God knows that, it, that it's fine. You can eat of this tree. And so it says in chapter three, verse six, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that was that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took uh, some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And like I said before, I had thought previously that the serpent and Eve were just talking and then the serpent deceived Eve and she ate of the tree and whatnot. I didn't know that Adam was with her the whole time. 
So Adam was with her the whole time, and he's allowing this dialogue to go on between the serpent and Eve, and he's allowing Eve to do what he knows God told him not to do. And so she ate of the tree, and Adam was with her, and then, and then she gave it to Adam. And so God comes to Adam and says, dude, what's up? What did you do? You know, and so Adam says in verse 12, the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. In other words, he deflected. He's saying, Lord, this is your fault because this is your woman that you gave me. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. This is your woman. You gave me, you gave her to me and she, she made me do it. So he's deflecting. And so, uh, so then God asked the woman, what's the deal? And so she said, <clears throat> verse 13, uh, so the Lord asked the woman, uh, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So now Eve is deflecting. So it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. And so from Adam's standpoint, it's the woman that you gave me, God, it's her fault. The woman says, no, it's the serpent's fault that she, uh, she, uh, that the serpent deceived me. And so we see here the beginnings of mankind. That uh, uh, it's nobody's fault. Everybody's deflecting. There's no personal responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. Now, you tell me, does that sound familiar? Are we not dealing in a time when the same exact behavior is going on? It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And therefore, I don't have to deal or I shouldn't have to deal with the consequences. And that is not the case. And so with that. Uh, we're going to conclude this for this day, and we'll